Welcome to Solutions OP Clinical Trials Podcast. My name is Olga and I'm the Managing Director of Solutions OP. We are a small team of experienced professionals working on clinical trials in the United Kingdom. I'll use our podcast to discuss hot topics in clinical trials and provide analysis of the latest trends and challenges in pharma and medical device industries, not just in the UK, but globally. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our first uh, podcast where uh, I will talk about uh, about me and uh, our team and the work that we do, what we enjoy uh, most and what we do different uh, than other people. Uh, no matter how much I hate talking about myself, I think it's a uh, it's uh, it's good to have an episode where people can learn a little bit about myself. Uh, you know, if you're going to listen to me, you'd want to know who I am and <laughs> what I'm doing. So fair enough. Uh, so yeah, let's start with uh, probably me uh, first. Uh, so I I never know what to say about myself, uh, but I'll I'll tell you probably a little bit of uh, of my education and my experience, uh, and uh, hopefully that will be interesting. Uh, so I have a, a bachelor degree in biotechnology and I have a master degree in medical and pharmacological biophysical chemistry. So I know it sounds a bit mouthful. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very interesting, actually, interdisciplinary um, uh, area where you have a lot of biophysics and biochemistry and physical chemistry. It's like a mix of all trying to understand not just chemical and biological but physical properties of of the cell human cell and uh, how things work so it, it was a really interesting uh, uh, master degree for me um, then I studied uh, in uh, in Ireland uh, quality management diploma in quality management uh, uh, which I did a bit later on it was quite interesting subject as well uh, learning about how to write standard operation procedures and and things like this uh, it was very interesting <clears throat> uh, topic uh, for me so I started working in clinical research back in 2005 it's feels like a very, very long time ago, probably not so much, but anyway. Uh, so initially I was a clinical trial assistant and I worked in Bulgaria. I was uh, coordinating at some point Bulgaria, Serbia, Romania and Croatia. Uh, we were really great company uh, at the time uh, and we had a really good team. Uh, we were very close with our colleagues in different countries. Uh, it was a unique experience to me. Uh, but then I decided that I want to go back into lab research uh, because during my university uh, years, I did a, a lot of working in different labs, uh, research labs. So I decided to go to Germany and, and work in a research lab in HIV research, which is my uh, my passion. <laughs> uh, I've I've always wanted to work in HIV research, but it's not very popular nowadays. Uh, for for many people, um, HIV is like a chronic condition rather than something that needs additional treatment and and so on. So I'm not sure if that's the right approach, but at least that's how people see it nowadays. And there's not much going on in HIV drug development, unfortunately. 
So I work in Germany, uh, as I said, uh, in a university research lab for one year. And uh, I kind of really miss the, the dynamic of working in clinical research. You know, you interact with so many people. Uh, there's so many new things going on. Like in the lab, it's more or less you do the same routine every day. So I miss that dynamic and communicating with so many people around the world, which I really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, so many things that I've learned uh, uh, when I first started. So I decided to go back into into uh, clinical trials and drug development. And um, I went to Ireland where I worked as a clinical research associate for, for a number of years. Uh it was a, a, a great experience because I started as a junior one and then eventually I got to uh, be a mentor for a new CRA starting in the company. Uh, uh, but then uh, the situation in Ireland was complex because Ireland is a small country, so not many uh, clinical trials were, were going to Ireland. And um, it was getting difficult. It was around the, the crisis in 2008 when... Um, I decided to, uh, when we uh, arrived initially in Ireland and uh, started working. And then it was around 2012 uh, when I decided it's time to move and, and start something new because I was worried about the prospects uh, for work in, uh, in clinical research in Ireland. So I made a, a big move uh, uh, with my family. We came to, uh, to the UK and... Um, opened our our company uh, back at the time at the beginning of the year uh, it was a new exciting thing to start uh, and uh, actually in the UK I started working more in into regulatory work and doing more setup uh, of clinical trials uh, and I gained a lot of experience after I, I've opened the company with working with different uh, quite a lot of different companies I've worked with some big pharma companies and big CROs. And I've worked with small uh, and mid-sized pharma companies and CROs, and I've worked with some startups. And what I discovered uh, with the time that I really enjoy working with startups and small companies because I saw in them, there were people who were genuinely interested in, in uh, discovering drugs which help patients not just, you know, of course, everyone wants to have profit, wants to have profitable product on the market. And that's completely understandable. But there were people who were really interested in, you know, their drug making a difference for patients. Uh, and I, I quite enjoy this one. These small companies where there are lots of opportunities that you can learn a lot of uh, working for them because they... You know, they don't have enough resources. They always need someone to help with something. And if you're proactive and really interested in research, in that environment, you can learn a lot and you can really contribute to these companies to, to develop uh, their products and, and go to the market. Uh, so uh, this is how I I discovered my passion to work for for small uh, and uh, startup companies, uh, and basically everyone who is trying to to make it uh, to the market with their first drug. Uh, I still work with uh, some wonderful clients for <laughs> for a number of years, 
and uh, I, I really, I have to say, enjoy working with them. Uh, it's been pleasure. Uh, so what kind of, uh, of services we offer from, from the prospect of what I just said? So what, uh, what we try to do is we try to do things uh, different. So I, initially it was me and then uh, my husband who was supporting me. And now we have a small team with four people at the moment. Uh, and uh, we are working on set up uh, predominantly of, of clinical trials, but also we offer some project management and uh, remote monitoring as well. Uh, the, the the ladies who work for me are absolutely wonderful. They're very, very experienced and uh, knowledgeable and people who are uh, just like me, you know, in, eager to learn new things and really helpful and trying to help people. Uh, because I think uh, that's the, the role at the end of the day. We're trying to, to help the pharma companies uh, have a successful product on the market. At the same time, we want to help the sites, the hospitals we work with, uh, to to run the clinical trial successfully and everything to to go smoothly, and you know, patients to have also positive experience, of course, from uh, well organized and and managed study. Uh, so I'm really glad that they share my my views on this, and uh, we work together. Uh, it's uh, it's great to have uh, uh, people you can uh, trust and rely on. Um, and one thing I I wanted to say about services. So I try, as I said, to to do things differently. Um, and um, normally, you know, what people uh, will do is you have a small company who is based in, let's say, for example, in United States of America. And they want to run a clinical trial in Europe and they come to UK, but they've never done anything before, <laughs> anything like that before. And they have no idea what they need to do. And sometimes they come to me and say, okay, so we want to do this study, but how much that's going to cost? So I try to, you know, provide like an estimate, not just for monitoring regulatory work, but also site level budget you know what kind of budget they can expect what kind of prices they can expect and i think this is really really important for small companies because they have limited resources and um limited funding sometimes and uh being clear about the costs of running a clinical trial is is an important part uh they need to be aware they need to be able to make their own planning they need to make a decision, you know, how many sites they can consider for the country and how that's going to work for them, uh, which is something I, I also am all, always happy to, to consult and, and give any recommendations that I have. Um, then uh, in many cases, when they need to select sites that will do the clinical trial in the UK, um, now we're happy to support them with this work, of course, to identify potential sites, but also we provide them something more. We provide them intel, information about these hospitals because we are working in setup and we're setting up a lot of hospitals in the UK in different trials. And we have experience uh, with uh, working with different hospitals. So we know 
how long it's going to take you, for example, to set up that hospital because we've worked with it in the past. Now, fair enough, you'll say, well, but sometimes, you know, it's different because one thing might work faster and then, well, next time you come to me six months later, maybe I'm having problems, I'm not setting up stuff so quickly. And, you know, that's fair enough, uh, but it still gives a bit of an idea to people what to expect in terms of timelines uh, for, the, uh, for each hospital. Um, so this is something that we provide to our clients as well. If, uh, if it's a disease area where we have experience because we are working uh, uh, heavily in, into oncology research, uh, if they come and ask about oncology uh, sites, uh, then we can provide them even more information because we've worked with quite a, a lot of investigators in the UK and we'll be able to uh, provide them information what they can expect in terms of recruitment and, and so on. So I think it's, a, uh, it's another thing which is very important for uh, these small companies when they come to the country to have that kind of information uh, and they don't go and set up sites which may not necessarily recruit because the, the issue is um, when you set up uh, a, a sites which don't recruit you might actually get disappointed and when you have a next study you think twice if you go to that country where your you know your study didn't recruit so you'd rather go somewhere else where you know for sure that you have some recruitment. So this is why we're trying to um, make sure that, that the, the sponsor, the pharma company or medical device company, is aware of the, the sites, what to expect in terms of setup, and even if we can provide them some information on what they can expect in terms of recruitment. Of course, this is this is great and we always do that. Uh, I always aim to provide as much as I can uh, in terms of information to, to our clients. Uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, we are happy to help with uh, regulatory submissions uh, to ethics committees, MHRA and so on, obtain all regulatory approvals. Um, and uh, um, then we're happy to work with budgets and contracts and, and make sure everything is, is done correctly and uh, uh, sites are ready to start. Now, it depends on uh, uh, what the, the companies would like to do. So if they want to have on-site monitoring, then uh, we normally try to uh, find some of our partners who can do on-site monitoring for them just because we don't have the capacity to... Uh, to do on-site monitoring, we have quite a lot of things going on. But at the same time, we also offer remote monitoring uh, uh, to clients who are interested. And in uh, most of the cases, um, these will be uh, relatively low-risk studies uh, where people can, can consider remote monitoring. So the remote monitoring is, is a bit of an interesting topic because... Um, Many companies, especially the European ones, are quite not uh, up to date with remote monitoring. In the United States, it's more acceptable and I think they're more or less used to uh, having remote monitoring. Uh, but in Europe, it was considered more like a contingency during COVID-19. Uh, so when you tell them remote monitoring, they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that. No, we want to have a proper monitoring. 
<laughs> which is really funny. Uh, the the first thing is in the UK, remote monitoring is is completely acceptable level uh, way of monitoring. So it's not a contingency monitoring, but it is a recognised method to do monitoring, and. Uh, majority of the UK hospitals have provision for remote monitoring, like all big hospitals will have uh, a way of, of performing remote monitoring if the company is interested. Um, and uh, even some, some hospitals have direct access to their electronic medical records, others have guided access where someone's going to, you know, show you the, the data you want to see and, and so on. So this is uh, uh, very much uh, uh, advanced uh, in in the UK in comparison to Europe, where uh, I think majority of the source data is paper. Uh, it's still paper, and and they're quite behind in 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 terms of uh, remote elect uh, monitoring electronic uh, medical records. Uh, so I think if you're thinking of uh, monitoring in the UK, remote monitoring is definitely a very powerful uh, way of doing it. Uh, but when I'm talking about this, I just want to share my own experience. So I started working, working with remote monitoring back in 2012. It was a pilot program to see how this will work for one big, very big breast cancer uh, study. Uh, in in the UK, where I was a remote monitor for thirteen hospitals, and I was not going to sites, and I had colleagues who were going to sites very rarely. Uh, and uh, actually, I think it was a, a really uh, excellent way of of managing the workload of people, and also providing adequate oversight of the hospitals and supporting them and also knowing what's happening. Uh, why I'm saying this, it's because uh, at the moment uh, uh, there are lots of disruptions. You know, traveling could be quite complicated. It gets a lot of expensive to travel from one place to another. There are strikes, different, different complexities which could affect how frequently the, the CRA could go to the sites. Well, with remote monitoring, we can guarantee specific frequency of our remote monitoring visits. For example, what we do is we do monthly remote monitoring visits. Every month we check the data uh, when we have a good recruitment. Of course, if you don't have frequent recruitment, you can have them less frequently. But for uh, recruiting st studies and sites, we have monthly uh, monitoring visit, remote monitoring, um, which allow us to pick things early because every four weeks you're having a remote monitoring. And if there's something happens, you know, you can pick up very quickly this and, and implement Kappa and, and so on. So um, and this is why we have them monthly. And we also have uh, a data review which is going in parallel. So, for example, you have an oncology study where some of the patients are discontinued. So we want to start cleaning this data and we'll be doing remote review and reconciling to support data management so that they can clean the data uh, much quicker at the end. But also, it's like a support for the CRA for someone to look into this data again and make sure that everything is reconciled in terms of A's and comments because sometimes things are missed. So we want to avoid this to make sure we have really 
good quality data which is uh, monitored and you know people can rely on this data uh, also uh, we work very actively with the hospitals we make sure that they report any serious adverse events we check about lab kits we ask them about lab kits of course temperature monitoring uh, for study drugs and so on um, uh, ask hospitals occasionally to send us accountability logs uh, although now the accountability is more or less documented in the medical records as well so you can see that without that the need to ask pharmacy to scan your logs and logs and logs because you don't want to, to put extra burden on the hospitals uh, and another thing that I find is a really beneficial of the remote monitoring. If you have actually direct access to electronic medical records, you can work without uh, causing any extra work for the sites that they have to accommodate you. They have to spend time with you on the day and so on. This is something that you can do remotely and you can discuss with people later on after your visit, your findings and agree on a plan how to tackle these findings so it's all about organizing things and, and planning them well uh, and if you have a as i said a good experienced team that uh, knows how to work with remote monitoring remote monitoring is actually a powerful tool uh, which assures that you have access and you review the data regularly regardless of any strikes or anything else uh, also, it reduces the costs for the companies because you don't have that person traveling to that place all the time and having to pay for their time spent traveling. Because in many cases, you know, when you're traveling, you don't necessarily work uh, to do any, any work-related activities. So in many cases, uh, when people are driving somewhere or, you know, traveling somewhere long distance, this is a uh, these are extra hours which are paid which are not necessarily related to the actual work while when it's remote monitoring you are actually paying for the hours when the person is doing the actual job so i think that's one of the the biggest benefits uh and of course another very very big benefit uh, which i see as a cra uh who's worked a long time <laughs> as a cra uh it it's how tired people are. You know, you don't understand it until you stop <laughs> and you look around and you realize actually, oh my God, I was so tired traveling all the time. And and this is what is happening with many people. You know, by by the time you get to the hospital, you are already tired and you're supposed to sit there and concentrate and work for hours. And that's not an easy thing. And I think that's why it, we had so many compliance issues in the past. It's just people just tired and they overlook things. Uh, and, uh, you know, then the work builds up and you don't necessarily have the time to go back and look into the data again, see if you've missed something. Just because you try to stay on, on top of things, you don't think about going back and, and reviewing things. Uh, so I think... Uh, 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 my personal view is that remote monitoring is is really uh, the future uh, when it comes to uh, uh, to monitoring uh, clinical trials. Uh, but also, it, it's a challenge as well uh, because in order to have someone who is really good at remote monitoring, 
you you don't just need person who can compare data. This is no longer the job. Uh, maybe it was many many years ago, but it's no longer the case. Now you need a person who is able to analyze data, person who is able to identify trends. It's it's a completely different mindset and skills to be able to do remote monitoring and data review, um, as it is at the moment. Uh, especially with a complex studies where you have different things, so you need to to have a, a person who is analyzing the the information as they go, not simply comparing. Oh, here it says three, and here is three. We no one needs that anymore. That kind of monitoring is is not what we need, and it's not what the industry needs. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's part of the reason why th- there's some quality issues over the years <laughs> with uh, with monitoring. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's my my feeling about uh, uh, remote monitoring. As I said, uh, um, and. Uh, one of the the really best things for me is uh, when when working on clinical trials is when you when you have a, a promising product and uh, you know you see patients uh, doing well and you check them like every month and and you see that they're sta- they're stable or they improving and it's it's something that really motivates you and. Uh, gives you the 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 passion to to continue working and and help you know get this product to the market because you see it's actually helping real people it it means a a, a big difference at least to me it has a really big difference uh so it's always great to see results now uh, of course you don't always see results with everyone so for many patients probably it doesn't work but you you still have these patients that it works for them and it's it could be fascinating to see you know in some oncology studies you see patients who have such advanced disease and uh, they they have such a good response to, to a treatment and they go on for a long time and they're happy and they have good life, you know, they go on holidays. It, it's really an amazing feeling to to see that somehow, you know, your work is is making difference to, to someone's life. You know, even if it's only one person, it, it's still a big thing. You, you've been able to help to one person and, and that's that's a lot. <laughs> uh, not everyone can say can say that. So I I'm uh, really uh, a keen working on clinical research and uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, uh, we have a wonderful team and we try to be as supportive as we can to, to our clients and help them get their products on the market as fast as as we can Uh, so thank you for listening and uh, i hope uh, you learned a a little bit more about me and uh, what we do thank you